Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract. Today in the house, are we ever excited about C.B. Bowman? C.B., welcome to the show. First, an intro bio. It'll take us about 11 minutes, and then uh, we will get right into it because you're just so illustrious with the career. C.B., known as the Courage Consultant. C.B. is the host of the very, very popular Courage to Leap and Lead podcast. She's also CEO of the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches. C.B. is a global certified master corporate executive coach with experience wide-ranging, far-reaching in marketing, coaching, and branding. Her keynote and her workshops, The Courage to Leap and Lead and Implementing Courage to Increase Your ROI, Inspire Others to Go for the Gold by Finding Courage, through simple solutions to complex problems, and by re-envisioning how we, as leaders and individual contributors, think about courage in terms of profitability and a willingness to see failure as a success. CB strongly believes that master-level corporate executive coaches have to be, quote, enterprise-wide business partners with their clients, and yes, full of courage. She is formerly head of branding for ready-to-eat cereals for General Foods, where she was responsible for the visual impact of post cereals for the iconic brands that I continue to still eat. Honey Bunches of Oats, Golden Crisps, and Pebbles. CB was also responsible for the classic brands, including Post Shredded Wheat, Grape Nuts, Shake and Bake, and Raisin Bran, and she's won dubious amount of awards, all kinds of them in product marketing and branding. She's on the power list of the, to- the sorry the top 200 biggest voices in leadership through Leaders Hum, top 50 coaches in the world by Thinkers 50, and Global Guru, Guru sorry, also named CB as one of the top 15 experts in branding. Her latest book, which we'll get into, Courage to Leap and to Lead, is already, in my opinion, an instant classic. CB, great to have you. Thanks for being here, my friend. You have, over the years now, redefined, in my opinion, the word courage. Yes. So I want to get right into this. How do you define courage and how are we supposed to sort of remove or eliminate the word lexicon from that definition? So first, I want to thank you so much for having me on your show and for that amazing introduction. Can I hire you as my PR <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just, I'll come with you to your workshops and your keynotes and your consulting. I'll do the intro and then I'll just leave. All right. There. Perfect. Oh, that's fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> hey, you know what? It occurred to me, and this is how it all happened. Uh, a colleague in the association said to me, I would love for you to come and be my keynote speaker in Spain. And I said, okay, fine. What would you like for me to talk about? Executive coaching? She said, no. I said, oh, I know. D-E-A, D-E-I-D, whatever you want to add to it. And she said, no. And I said, well, what would you like for me to talk about? And she said, courage. And I said, I don't know anything about courage. (laughs) She said to me, CB, get real. You're the most courageous person I know. And I thought, wow, okay, I can do this, I hope. And I started writing my keynote and all of a sudden, you know how you know you're in the right space, your mind just clicks, your fingers click, and it's all great. Mm. That's what happened. Plus, Marshall Goldsmith challenged me, Alfred Marshall, on what did I want to be known as? And I thought, oh, come on, Marshall, I want to be known as the CEO of ACEC. And he said, "Eh, eh, eh." no. 
you need to be known for something on your own, like me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and so putting those two events together, I came out with the truth about me, which is I am a courageous person. And when I look back and started to write the book, I thought, holy cow, they were not kidding. And you've been denying yourself of this all of your life. What is this imposter syndrome? It doesn't fit with your MO, right? Right. And so I looked at the word courage and I thought, we have not been defining that word in its totality. Yes, there is courage running into a building to save a life, jumping into a pool to save a dog. Yeah, that's courage, but that's macro courage. That's huge scale courage. And we hold ourselves back by holding ourselves up to that imagery. And I thought, no, that's totally wrong because it's not inclusive. We each experience courage every single day of our lives and we do not acknowledge it. And so therefore I call the term micro-courage, which means this everyday courage that we experience. Let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. You said to me today, we had to cut our interview short because you have to catch a plane and go someplace else and speak. And I said, fine. Now, I could have said, forget about it. I'm too important. <laughs> well, you are. <laughs> <laughs> that would never happen. But it took courage for you to tell me the truth, right? And to say, would this work? If somebody is at the curb and they see somebody who's visually impaired and they say, may I help you cross the street? That's micro courage. Mm. Why? Why? Because the person could say no and then your ego is affected. You could be hit by a car, or they could be hit by a car. We don't think about things in a complete circle. We only think about things in sort of little teeny steps, and therefore we don't allocate that we are courageous people. I don't want to lead the witness to the verdict, but you've uh, been on record as suggesting that courage needs to not be looked at as a mountain, but as sand. And so I want, I'd love for you to unpack what that metaphor means when we talk about macro versus micro courage and, and how you're using that in your work. Oh, yeah. So in macro courage, let's make that the mountain. We all see that, oh, my God, to try to climb that mountain, Mount Everest, is just not happening. It may be an instant situation where all of a sudden you zoom to the top and, you know, jump down. Um but how often do we do that? Mm. More often, we have sand in the shoe. Now, I love the expression, it's not the mountain that'll get in your way, it's the sand in your shoe, because <laughs> it's that annoying thing. But in this case, we're looking at it as the positive. We can all walk through sand. We can't all climb Mount Everest. So let's recognize what we can do versus what we can't do. Does that make sense? It, it totally does. And so if we we put on our, our leader hat in the organization or even our individual contributor hat, of which leaders can be both, obviously, in an organization, you've written before 
that a courageous leader is not afraid to challenge the status quo, to speak their truth, um, to take action in the face of uncertainty, which I concur with. So, CB, here's here's the more pointed question, of course, to your work. What happens when people want to be courageous, you know, in the sand metaphor, let's say, but they come up against these uh, uh, these these terrible forces? So they could be uh, a, a horrible boss. It could be microaggressions. It could be favoritism in the organization. It could be misogyny. It could be racism. Like there's impediments inside our organizations that we, you and I are trying to eradicate. And then uh, what I love about your work is you're, you're still imploring people to find that daily micro courage. So tell us a bit about how you help with your consulting, your coaching, et cetera. People see the light that still there's good in your micro courage, despite some of those impediments that get in the way. So first, micro courage does not mean always saying yes. Mm. It also means saying no. And it doesn't always mean I can, it can mean I can't. Okay. So those decisions alone are courageous. I guess like me telling you, I couldn't do our recording. It's a micro courage example because Air Canada changed my flights. Exactly. So that's the first step to realize you always have a choice. And when you realize that when you think you don't have a choice, then you've let go of your courage. So. If you have a racist situation, as you know, I have faced time and time again, you have a choice to first to stay or to leave, mm-hmm. two, to say something or not, and three, how you want to say it. And to, do you want to explode this situation? That's the tougher question, right? So the first step is the courage to make a decision. And then the second step is the courage to move forward with that decision. So it happens in various stages. In my book, you will see I take people through a seven-step process in turning failure into success. So to me, there's no such thing as failure. None. It should be erased from our dictionary. It's always a lesson we can learn. It's a university. It's life's university. And you don't have to pay $100,000 for that education unless you're venture capital. So <laughs> let, let's exactly, let's unpack that failure connection to uh, courage. Like, tell me why we need to extricate, eliminate the concept of failure when we're thinking about courage, micro, macro, et cetera. Because failure means you don't have any choices. Encourage means you have choices. Simply said. That's it. Drop the mic on that one. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when we are up against um, those terrible situations and it might feel like failure, where where does this courage reservoir come from? What are some of the tactics, techniques, you know, the muscles we need to be building then uh, to become slightly more courageous, if you will? So now you're asking me to reveal my book and I'm not going to do that <laughs> because I want everybody to buy it. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair I, enough. Okay. I will, no. say, I will say to you, step one, step out of the quagmire. 
So, you know, have you ever heard of people that have an out-of-body experience where they can literally just look down and see everything that's happening with incredible clarity? That's step one. Because if you look at it from the bottom up, you're going to have all this muck, you know, all of this dirt, all of these filters, and you cannot move forward. So mm. the first step, step out and analyze it as though you're not part of it. And think, what advice would you give somebody else? Mm. That's a hard question because we're all very good at giving advice. Are we good at taking our own? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're dealing with racism, I'll tell you a quick story. I had a very dear friend when I lived in New Jersey who was an Italian, older, elderly woman. And when I went into her home for the first time, I saw a statue of Aunt Jemima in her kitchen. And I thought, oh, no. Yeah. And I chose never to say anything to her about it. She was in her 70s. And I thought she would have no clue uh. that statue meant to me. To her, it was a cute little, she loved to cook. And she, it, to her, it was a symbol of cooking, you know, the richness of the Italian cooking. So there was a choice I had to make. Now, if it was somebody in their 20s, I might say, what, what does that statue mean to you? Right. Let me share with you what it means to me. Absolute clarity, make your decision and go for it. Which really is you demonstrating in action the point, I believe, right, that you make often about courage, which is there's courage in taking action, but there's also courage in not taking action. And you have to decipher and delineate, I suppose, right, the demarcation between when it's, um, I guess, not courageous, if you will, or almost cowardly to, to say something in a moment, which you obviously through courage, just sort of holding your tongue can actually demonstrate courage. Is that right, CB? Let me, let me rephrase that a little bit. That's, uh, there's courage in taking an action, and then there's courage to deciding to take a different action. Uh, that's, I love that. Okay. Right. Got it. Okay. And so you've, uh, you're also one to say that, you know, we have to start by asking questions of ourselves actually to demonstrate courage. So there's probably an example, but what, what is it that we need to learn from that statement where if we're not asking questions of ourselves and we're just lipping off or, you know, using our amygdala and not our prefrontal cortex to be thinking through where courage should be uh, action-based or a different type of action-based, how do we start by asking questions of ourselves and why is it important? By listening. Hmm. So few of us listen to others and we don't listen to ourselves. We mouth off and we don't think about the reaction the other person is going to have. But it makes us feel good because we've mouthed off. We've gotten rid of the stress. Right, right. right. But you've actually added stress because the other person is going to respond in a stressful manner. And now you're packing stress on stress. So listening to the other person, you learn more information. You develop a stronger bond. You don't break that bond. I'll tell you a quick story. When, when I was coming up, 
It was in the days of Andy Warhol. Okay. And so I grew up in the Greenwich Village area. We would go to coffee houses and we would sit and we would argue fiercely politics, society, archaeology, a soup can. It didn't matter. And we would walk out so exhilarated, not that we agreed with the other person, but we had more information. Hmm. We have lost the art of discussion. It's, it's such a powerful point, CB, because I, I often am reminded by the power of discourse uh, in the Greek Agora, mm-hmm. where uh, people of any stripe would come into the big courtyard in essence, right? And some would like literally uh, stand on a soapbox and pontificate, but then there'd be a dialogue, which is where dialectical came from, discourse, right? Literally. And so what you're suggesting is in Greenwich Village and sort of that courage to debate, but to be silent and to listen, and then to add on and to say, how about, what if, but to actually treat each other as human beings in the discourse, not take a, pol- a polarized opinion on one way or the other before going in. So it sounds like to be courageous also requires you to be silent to listen. Absolutely. And without uh, without negative opinion, mm. right? That has no foundation. If, if you're listening to somebody, don't make a decision until they're finished and then counter and see the reaction. You know, this cancel culture is probably the most devastating thing that we have done to each other. There's no such thing as listening and then forming an opinion. Mm. There's just automatic cancel culture. I don't like what they said. End of discussion, earmuffs on, I'm out of here. Where's the opportunity to learn? Where's the opportunity to be courageous about what you're gonna say next? Because You've listened and learned. Didn't say agree. I said, listen and learned. When you're coaching and someone's come to you then, CB, for assistance on, and they're self-describing themselves perhaps as not bully, but pushy, I might call it, right? You know, they need some help in how to listen and to be pausing, to marinate in the moment. How do you connect the dots for them between your work on courage and even the relationship then to sort of how that builds culture and better rapport and relationships. So it's that one is the simplest. It's the courage to be quiet. Uh, okay. And listen, you know, <clears throat> I will tell you another quick story. As the CEO of the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches, we were in an executive meeting and I said something to the group and they said, um, excuse me, CB, what's our job here? And I said, to advise and to come up with ideas. And they said to me, when are you going to let us do our job? I said, whoa, wait a second. What are you talking about? We've been meeting for over two years. They said, yeah, the meeting consists of you telling us what is happening and what you've done. I said, are you asking me to shut up in our meetings? And they looked at me and said, yes. Whoa. And I begrudgingly did that. But you know what happened? Our association doubled in size because I wanted to shut up. I learned to listen. I had forgotten to listen. I forgot to ask. Were were you 
left with drinking your own champagne or was this a hangover from your corporate executive days where being in charge of such prolific brands, et cetera, that you had that inclination to be the first and last to speak? So this is where it takes a deep dive to know yourself. And it was not so much from that. It was from my realizing that I was hurt inside from nobody listening to me as a black woman. Oh, I see. Okay. And I said to myself, you have to let that go. You're CEO of an organization now. Let's start listening. Let's start accepting that you don't have the answers to everything. That took courage. Mm. So there is this um, courage then and the ability to act and then the ability to either not act or act in a different way or take action in a different way. So tell me a bit about that uh, really critically important balance then, right, between one action versus another being silent. Like I'm trying to thread the needle here from uh, all the great points you've made so far and in just a short period of time. So what's what's your secret sauce to help people, I suppose, do that threading? Listen to your gut. Mm-hmm. And that's not easy to do. So you have to clear the table to listen to it. If your instinct, your gut's telling you that by your reading other people, this is not going over well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like that stop, drop, roll, cut out the fire. Right. It's really the same thing. You've got a fire going on. Oh, I see. Okay. Start asking questions in a way that allows the truth to come out. Hmm. There's a difference. Here's an example. You have an employee that you don't think very fondly of, and you say to people, their leaders, their bosses, I don't think that CB is performing that well in these tasks. What do you think? Versus, I think CB is extraordinary in these tasks. What do you think? That's the model we learned at the New School for Social Research. It's how to influence the person you're asking. Now ask, what is your thoughts about CB? Mm. That's a blank slate. Yeah. The other two are polarizing. So we have to learn to eliminate the polarizing that we do and ask questions and listen with a blank slate. So, so that's yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how how does this then relate to so in organizations, you know, there's a lot of failure. And when I say failure, I mean mistakes are made, you know, some things don't go right on a launch or you know, product management or product development, uh services, you name it, right? Relationships with suppliers and partners, right? Like there's just evidence that things go wrong, and that's just life, that's work, that's work life. So when you talked about polarization when you talk about cancel culture and that kind of that language if it creeps into the organization it's like oh they failed last time you know oh that's a failing team over there that's a failing leader like it can um be at times potentially insurmountable so the question cb how does courage play a part in sort of the values and the behavior of how we should be operating as leaders and as a culture inside the companies so Leaders have to realize the more controlling that they are, the less creativity and less innovation their organization will have. Hmm. They have to accept that. 
because you're not allowing the voices to give you new information to move your organization forward. Right. And you're placing blame and blame is the dagger. It is the instrument of lack of creativity and innovation. So when I was at General Foods, when a product did not succeed, notice I didn't use failure. Yeah, yeah. We all we kind of removed that word from our language. We always did something called lessons learned. And we did it regardless of whether a product succeeded or didn't succeed. Oh, so I'm so happy to hear that. Stipulate <laughs> what we could do next time. We also used the five whys. And these are some of the instruments that I give you in the book to use. Okay. The five whys is not a shame and blame instrument. It's a dissecting tool that allows you to see what you could do differently. So I recommend looking at reading my book and looking at some of the tools that I give. I also recommend reading an old book called Kaizen. Mm. And using things like another tool I give, the fishbone chart, dissect what happens. By dissecting, you learn. By saying it's a failure, you don't learn. So allow employees to make a mistake, but understand why the mistake was made and the impact of the mistake, and then allow them to present solutions. Hmm. Well, you know, I love about your lessons learned. It's not just in that failure or mistake, as you say, right? Something that went awry or wrong where we learned. We can learn equally so from the successes and pass those on along to the team. So it almost takes more courage to actually to, to help people see success than because we're always so easily able and apt to point out the, the not so good, the failures. Absolutely. I remember when I was at General Foods, I had a mentor who I was afraid of. I mean, she was one tough broad. Oh, yeah. And I said to her one day, how do I move up the ladder? And she said to me, she smiled and she said, in times of chaos. Mm. Took me a long time to figure that one out, but I got it. Wow. Um, okay, well, the book is Courage to Leap and to Lead, and you've really developed kind of a and landed on a new courage process, I might call it. So without giving away the farm or the book, can you just give us maybe sort of a summary of what you what we're expecting uh, within the book itself? Oh, the book is a wonderful book. <laughs> I'm about to say so myself. Um, what I realized that there are many well-known authors that are talking about courage. And they're telling you that you should be courageous, but nobody tells you how. This book tells you how. Ooh. What we do is we look at the behaviors that are related to courage. I tell you stories about situations that happened to me in those behavior zones. And then there's space for you to write what's happening to you. What, what I've noticed in a lot of books that I read, you read the book, it's like, okay, it's a great book, but how do I relate this to me? Mm-hmm. Now you have the opportunity in the moment to write how this relates to you. And then I present the tools and the steps to incorporate courage into your life and your organization. So it's it's like a mashup. It's both book and a guidebook helping you to write down those behavior changes that you should be thinking about. Nobody said in this world a book had to be written one way or the other, and I just decided <laughs> to change the scope courageously. 
Oh, well, ba Well done, my friend. Well, okay. Um, where where can we find out more about you, the book? And I mean, gosh, your podcast is amazing and uh, illustrious, but just tell us more about where to find more about you, CB. Absolutely. LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn or write to me directly at cb at cbbowman.com. Made it real easy. Amazing. Courage Consulting, courage-consulting.com. And I love to hear from people. I'd love to hear from your audience. I love the opportunity to go into organizations and make a difference. Bring up that courage and let it roar. Well, somewhere in the etymology of courage is uh, the French word cour, which of course is heart. And so you are all heart, CB. You are the definition of heart and courage. Thank you for what you do. Thanks for doing this today. And by the way, listeners and viewers, uh, CB's uh, LinkedIn newsletter is astounding. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Another episode today, Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract, today in the house, the one, the only CB Bowman. Be sure to check out a copy of Courage to Leap and to Lead. You definitely become more courageous by the end of that book slash guidebook. Thanks again, CB. Really appreciate this. Thank you. And look for the book at the beginning of June. It will be on your bookshelves. Fantastic. Okay, everyone. Thanks, CB. (laughs) Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.